title of my sermon tonight is All is Well. It's a good title, but I have to admit to you it's not the best out there. The best Christmas Eve sermon title 2020 I came across just a couple of days ago. It's a a friend of N.T. Wright's has titled his sermon for tonight, Let's Put Herod Back in Christmas. Let's put Herod back in Christmas. It's true, Herod does belong here in Christmas, but he's missing from my nativity set. Herod is found not in Luke's version, but he's found in Matthew's version of Jesus' birth, giving orders to kill all of the children in and around Bethlehem who are two years old or younger. Herod reminds us that there is real pain and danger in the time of Jesus' birth, which is helpful. I don't know about you, but I find myself tonight struggling with both pain, fear, and joy. It's a strange mixture of what is very good, pure blessing, and things that are tough and painful and th- things that stir up fear. I'm coming to realize that this is closer to the true meaning of Christmas. Not perfection, feeling only warm, fuzzy feelings, and not complete fulfillment, everything exactly as I want it, but absorbing love in the midst of threat. That's Christmas. It's tough. It's tough to stop and notice love when I'd rather run away and to keep my heart open when I'd rather armor up. But I believe that this is what those who call themselves Christians do. They love. They love, period. And I think both of the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, who wrote of Jesus' birth, want us to know that this unusual love begins with the story of a baby. In Luke, while there's no Herod, there is an emperor. And he, Emperor Augustus, is a very different ruler from the babe in the manger. Emperor Augustus is the undisputed ruler of the Mediterranean world. And under this Caesar, the Roman Republic becomes an an empire. Augustus promises peace and unity, good news, and salvation to his people. And he delivers what he promises with brute force and power. Jesus also offers peace, unity, good news, salvation. It's a strange contrast, though. Caesar and the Christ child of Luke chapter 2. There's no forced adherence for this Savior. He's not barking orders with a sword in his hand. He's not even lying in a royal crib with the crown nearby. This Savior is wrapped in strips of cloth, just like every other baby. 
This swaddled baby is the sign for the shepherds. The angels told them, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. You see, the sign is not a star. The sign is not a heavenly choir of angels. The sign is not spectacular by any means. The sign is ordinary. The sign is a baby. And the shepherds are ordinary people. They're not spectacular by any means. They're not shiny. They do the work that is left over in the world, caring for the flocks. The shepherds are evidence that no matter what we do, we belong to Christmas too. We belong in Christmas. Somebody put me back in Christmas. I think I need a tiny preacher for my nativity set like I need a tiny Herod. You and I belong in Christmas. We belong at the manger to the baby wrapped in strips of cloth. The manger is our place too. We belong to ordinary signs. You know, I know that this is true. I knew it was true when I walked into my backyard about two months ago and I spotted a shrub, a small tree in a giant pot, leaves dark red and bright yellow shining in the sun, a tree on fire, but not consumed, holy ground. We belong to ordinary signs, to shrubs and trees, to a gentle breeze and a strong wind in the night, to the call of a dove and the cry of a baby, and to the breath, the ordinary inhale and exhale, the holy breath. We belong to these ordinary signs. They are all around us, and they are in us. The Christmas story tells us that ordinary is good and that ordinary is God because that simply is incarnation, God in flesh, in human form, Emmanuel. God is with us. There is an Episcopal priest that I often like to see what she's saying because I so admire the work of her day-to-day life. Her name is Becca Stevens, and she is the founder of Thistle Farms, which is a business run by survivors of addiction and trafficking. And about Advent, Stevens says, Advent is a time on the church calendar for the lonely. It's for all of those who long, for all of those who search for more. People like Dorothy Day, who titled her autobiography, The Long Loneliness, and Howard Thurman, who wrote of the loneliness of the truth seeker. Advent is the time before Christmas of long nights, where we consider exactly what it is that we search for. When asked what it is that she is searching for, Becca Stevens took this long pause, and then she responded, like everyone else, I'm searching for home, where I sleep, where I'm safe, where I'm happy and joyful. So this got me thinking about home. Actually, I was already thinking about it, having moved just a couple of months ago from a temporary rental home to a more permanent investment home, I hope. 
<laughs> After 28 years of several houses, <laughs> I've learned that home is more than a structure. Home is more than a building. Home is where my people are. It's where I belong. It's where I sleep, where I'm safe. It's even where I argue. It's where I'm happy. It's where I'm allowed to be sad. And it is where I get the closest to peace and joy and belonging. Brene Brown taught me a couple of years ago that true belonging is not found externally in our surroundings. But true belonging is something that I carry in my heart. True belonging is when I show up as myself, honestly and vulnerable. It's anywhere that I allow the real me to be seen and heard. Poet and wise woman Maya Angelou once said, You are only free when you realize you belong no place at all and every place. No place at all and every place. Maya Angelou was a master of belonging. But I need places to train and to grow to an understanding that belonging isn't tied to my behavior or to a particular group or to a place. I belong anywhere and everywhere. This scene of the first Christmas this birth story of our Messiah found in Luke chapter 2, it's training ground for belonging. Reminding me that I have a place. I have a story. A stable that welcomes the excluded. A baby in ordinary cloth and a manger. That is love. That is love, period. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about Christmas one Christmas. He wrote about Christmas from a Nazi concentration camp, and he said this, I think we're going to have an exceptionally good Christmas. I used to be very fond of thinking up and buying presents, but now that we have nothing to give, the gift God gave us in the birth of Christ will seem all the more glorious. Bonhoeffer went on to say, the poorer our quarters, the poorer our circumstances, the more clearly we perceive our hearts are Christ's home. My heart, Christ's home, the manger, my home. We are drawn in, we are comforted. We can't escape this love that proclaims that all is well. New Testament and Jewish Studies professor at Vanderbilt, Amy Jill Levine, reminds that the manger is not just a bed of straw, but the manger is a feeding trough. And those among us who know the French language <laughs> Get that the English word manger is very similar. It's a different pronunciation, but it's very similar to the French word to eat. The infant Savior rests in a feeding trough, and it's not merely a sign of his poverty, but more importantly, it is what he has to offer us. 
nourishment, food for the soul. The town of Jesus' birth is Bethlehem, which can be literally translated house of bread. And so this Bethlehem manger savior will grow into adulthood and he will eat at tables with simply anyone. He will offer food, nourishment, loaves, and fishes to as many as you can imagine. Simply everyone. And the last thing, the very last thing that Jesus will teach his disciples will be an experience. It will be an action. It will be a meal where he will take bread, give thanks for the bread, break the bread, and give it away, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The feeding trough, the manger, it's here that we learn belonging. It's here that we are all fed. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turn away and our love fails, your love remains steadfast. In the fullness of time, you gave your Son, Jesus the Christ, to be our Savior. And at his birth, the angels sang to the shepherds, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah, our Lord. He came among us as a servant, Emmanuel, your presence with us, clearly revealing your love and your ways. We seek to be a part of those ways. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts? that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. There are no requirements for receiving communion in this congregation. The only requirement is you have to be able to open the packet. (laughs) There are two seals. One for the bread and one for the cup. This is the body and blood of Christ. It is given for you. Amen.